Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, May 21st, 2019. Kicking off the show, little Elvis Costello with Accidents Will Happen off the Armed Forces album. We've got a big show to get to. We have got uh, NBA playoffs as we've got one team already in the finals, that being the Golden State Warriors after their sweep uh, of Portland, which commenced last night or ended last night, I should I say. Uh, with a 119-117 overtime victory. We'll get to that. Uh, Milwaukee-Toronto tonight, uh, game four. Toronto carrying a 2-1, uh, sorry, Milwaukee carrying a 2-1 lead in that series. Um, and we will go around the league in Major League Baseball. But we begin with the New York Metropolitans. And all that is the clown show that continues to be this team. Um... Again, from the levels below ownership, the faces and the, na- and the names change, the results stay the same. Which, of course, any sane person can draw only one conclusion. And that is until Fred Wilpon, Jeff Wilpon, his son, Saul Katz, the CEO, are either forcibly removed by Major League Baseball, which is never going to happen, or, and or forced into selling the team by Major League Baseball, which is never going to happen. Or out of the goodness of their hearts and the understanding that they are way in over their heads, never going to happen, uh, this is the kind of clown show and nonsense that you're going to get. Almost every year. Now, again, you may have a season like 2015 where everything breaks right. You get a couple of lucky breaks. For instance, Sandy Alderton trying to trade for Carlos Gomez to be the big bat in the lineup that was going to, uh, you know, jumpstart the Mets offense in a season where they had pitched extremely well but couldn't score any runs because Alderson had done a horrendous job building the rest of that roster. And that's why we had guys like Soup Campbell and uh, Gary Matthews Jr. batting third and fourth in a lineup against Clayton Kershaw one night, fairly late into that season. And then Carlos Gomez's medicals came back pre the trade. They were, by the way, going to send Wilmer Flores and Zach Wheeler to Milwaukee in that trade. And so then plan B ended up being Cespedes. And I understand everybody hates Cespedes now. Um, or most Mets fans hate Cespedes now, but Cespedes instantly brought credibility to that team. They also added Juan Uribe and Kelly Johnson, two very solid veteran bats. But Cespedes was the main scorer and carried the Mets home for the last two months of the year in August and September. I mean, we remember the Friday night game against the Rockies with three home runs, the big, huge home runs against the Nationals. Uh, in that series that that happened on la- in la- uh, over Labor Day weekend, when the Mets overtook the Nationals for the division lead, the game against the Braves on Friday night. I mean, listen, Cespedes 
has his issues. I understand that. And, of course, he, after the Mets re-signed him, he's been nothing but hurt. And I played that song, Accidents Will Happen, because, of course, news comes out now that on his ranch that he owns in Port St. Lucie, he, some, some, some accident happened, and while doing God knows what on his ranch, apparently it wasn't riding a horse or falling off a horse, but he fractured multiple bones in one of his ankles, and you would have to assume now that the rest of his career with the Mets is done. As he was rehabbing, you know, both the heel injuries that he had surgery on staggered over the course of the offseason and was rehabbing. And, of course, the Mets, smartly for a change, weren't giving him much. But there was a hope that he might be back, you know, August, September for the stretch run. That's out the window. So I understand, though, everybody hates Cespedes now. He got the Mets into the, into the playoffs in 2015. Now, he won great in the World Series, understand, and he was so-so in the playoffs, but whatever. But so other than a couple of lucky breaks like 2015, 2016 again, you know, losing the wild card, the play-in game at home, to me, is not really making the playoffs. So... You know, okay, is it better than nothing? Yeah, it's slightly better than than nothing. But aside from the 2015 season, again, where a lot of things broke right and they got dumb lucky in the fact that the trade they wanted to make got, you know, they they pulled out of it the last minute and then they traded for Cespedes. He wasn't plan A, he was plan B. I mean, look, look, look at the rest of this. Look at the rest of the history here. Since the Wilpons have been fully in charge... Since Nelson Doubleday, since they wrested control away from Nelson Doubleday, who's since, you know, no longer with us. But look at it. I mean, remember, the Wilpons were the same people in 1997 that didn't want to trade for Mike Piazza because we already had a catcher, according to them, and Todd Hundley, who had hit 40 home runs a year before. But Todd Hundley was also on the DL with, with a major arm injury that year. So, no, you didn't have Todd Hundley. You didn't have a catcher already. And thankfully, Doubleday went to them because he was still part of the, the ownership group at the time and said, you guys are out of your minds. There was also a, a, a very uh, vocal public uh, outcry, particularly locally here on Sports Talk Radio. And for better or worse, it's well known the Wilpons pay attention to that stuff. And so you combine that with Doubleday going to them and saying, "Guys, we got to do that. We got to have. We have to make this trade." They finally did it. But I mean, again, look, the Wilpons' mistakes are legion. They are legion. And so, why anyone would think that it's ever going to change is beyond me. Yeah, look, 20, 2006 was a good year. Then, of course, it wasn't when they lost to a terrible Cardinals team that won 83 games that year. Now, they had a little bit of bad luck, and they had the collapses in, in 07 and in 08. Um, and then it all started to go down the drain. You know, you had the whole Tony Bernazard thing. You had the players going behind Willie Randolph's back and complaining to Omar Minaya when Willie would try to discipline the players. You know, remember, when Willie Randolph got here in 2005, he came with the pedigree of being, obviously, a former Yankee, an organization that does things the right way. And so remember, Willie's first year in 05, there was no facial hair. 
There's no clowning around. It was, let's get down to business. Because remember, before Willie, we had the Art Howe fiasco. Remember Art Howe? Who Fred Wilpon said lit up the room. I mean, Art Howe seemed like a nice man. There, were, there may not have been a more overmatched New York coach or manager than Art Howe. Maybe Ray Hanley and maybe recently Bob McAdoo. Bob McAdoo. Ben McAdoo. And now Mickey Calloway, by the way. But So, look, these, these problems have been going on for a long time. And again, general managers have changed. We had Omar Minaya. We had Sandy Alderson. Now we have former agent, current GM, snake oil salesman, Brody Van Wagenen. Right? Three different GMs in the last 15 years. And again, except for one season in 2015, the results are largely the same. Mets still don't understand how to deal with injuries. And it's one embarrassing incident after the next. The most recent one, of course, being the fact that the Mets started to play the quote-unquote soft underbelly of their schedule. Six games against the Nationals, who were eight games under 500. Three against the Marlins, who were the worst team in baseball, who were 20-something games under 500. And the Mets went 1-5 so far to start. Now two and six because they won last night. But they went one and two against the Nationals after winning the first game in the series, lost the next two, and got swept by the Marlins and got three hits in two games, in the last two games, and shut out on both. So with all that happening and the Sharks circling, Brody Van Wagenen, decided to have a press conference yesterday to address the rumors that Mickey Calloway's job was at stake. And basically, he said a whole lot of words without saying a goddamn thing. Remember, Brody Van Wagenen in the offseason said, come get us. Come get us. We really like our team. Come get us. I mean, first of all, why, why a general manager would say that I mean, maybe the Phillies general manager could say it because they added Bryce Harper and Gene Segura and JT Riomulto. JT Riomulto is the best catcher in baseball. Bryce Harper is probably one of the, if not top five, top ten players in baseball. And Gene Segura is a very, very good player. The Mets added 36-year-old over-the-hill PED cheat Robinson Cano. Wilson Ramos, who I thought was a good signing at the time, of course, he's been a nothing but an unmitigated disaster so far for the Mets. And yes, okay, Edwin Diaz was the best closer in, in the American League last year. But again, as I've said many times, relief pitchers and closers are fickle. And there's really no point in having a really good closer when the rest of your team has major holes in it, which the Mets team does. But anyway... I digress. So Brody Van Wagenen came out yesterday and said that Mickey Cow is a manager for the foreseeable future. <laughs> that he's going to take the blame for this so far. He's not going to point the finger downward to the manager or the players. I mean, I guess that's noble, but look, I understand you put this very flawed roster together, but at some point these players need to play better. And some of these guys have a pedigree and a track record that you would expect them to play better. Although, again, 
the Mets decided when the whole world is going to younger players, the Mets decided to load up on veterans and or keep a lot of the veterans that they already had, like Todd Frazier, who's awful, signing Wilson Ramos, who's 31, trading for Robinson Cano. By the way, the trade for Cano, why people hate that trade and why I didn't like it at the time, was because, A, you're taking on a big part, a large portion of that that salary, that ridiculous contract, that 10-year, $240 million contract he signed with Seattle upon leaving the Yankees. But... Yes, you unloaded Jay Bruce's contract and Anthony Swarzak. Anthony Swarzak only had one year left on his contract. He's since already been traded from Seattle to Atlanta. And Jay Bruce, I think, only had two years left on his contract. So, yes, those were uh, – and Jay Bruce is making $13 million, which sounds like a lot, but today's baseball is not that much, actually. So, yes, you were unable to un- – you were able to unload two sort of onerous veteran contracts, but you took back one in Cano – and you gave up your two best minor league prospects. One, Jared Kalanick, who is by far the Mets' best position player prospect. Now, look, he's 19 years old. He's probably a minimum two years away from the major leagues, but still. And then Justin Dunn, who was a double-A pitcher last year. And as you well know, you can never have too much pitching depth. And he may be only a year away. He may even be up in the majors late this year. So that was Brody Van Wagner's first big move. So far, it has turned out to be shit. <laughs> As Nick Nolte said to Eddie Murphy in uh, 48 Hours. I don't know what you're smiling about. Your big move just turned out to be shit. Yeah, so far, awful. We had Robinson. Now, and I've, I said this months ago. Robinson Cano, we know who Robinson Cano is. He's a lazy player who's very much a fancy Dan in the field, doesn't run the base, doesn't run hard to first base, right? Particularly if he thinks it's a routine play, he will not run to first base. He's gotten away with this his whole career. I don't know how the Yankees put up with this nonsense, but they did. Even they did too. You know how? Because he hit 320 and drove in 100 runs every year. That's how. And while... And, and, and he did play a stellar second base in those days. But guess what? He's 36 years old now. His range is, 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 is drastically diminished. And he's hitting 250 with three home runs and 12 RBIs, batting third all year. He's been awful. And then, of course, Robinson Cano did Robinson Cano twice over the weekend. On a Friday, he didn't run a ball, a, a ball with runners on first and second and one out. He had a comebacker to the mound. Didn't run to first base, double play. The throw to second wasn't great. If he would run hard, he might have beaten it out. And then his excuse afterwards was, well, it said two outs on the scoreboard. I thought there were two outs. Really? This is a supposed now veteran leader, doesn't know how many. You need the scoreboard to tell you how many outs there are? I played baseball. I never relied on the scoreboard to know how many outs there were. That's number one. Then on Sunday, so you already have that in the bank. The Mets are reeling. Okay, They've lost the first two games of the series to the pathetic Marlins. And then on Sunday, he hits a, 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 a tapper at home plate and doesn't run to first base. And then argues with the umpire that he thought it was foul. The ball was fair. Show the replay. The ball's fair. And Callaway didn't reprimand him, of course, after the game on Friday. Gave him a pass, saying, well, 
uh, the scoreboard said two outs. He thought that he knows he has to run. Well, he doesn't because he didn't do it again on Sunday. But again, this is nothing new. This is who Robinson Cano is. We know this about him. And I said this months ago. There's going to come a time in a series when he's going to do this. And you can live with it if A, the Mets are winning, and B, he's playing well. Well, the Mets are not winning, and he's playing. He's been awful. He's been nothing short of awful. 12 RBIs in, what, 50 games batting third? That's a joke. Hitting 130 against lefties? So then Callaway refused to reprimand him again, gave him a pass again, but then yesterday all of a sudden now, oh, Robinson Cano not in the lineup, but for three reasons, not just because of the running, because he was due a day off anyway, and he's not hitting well against lefties, and the Nationals started a lefty in Patrick Corbin last night. Just ridiculous. Oh, and then also because uh, the not running hard thing. I mean, so, of course, the Mets can't even discipline properly. They have to equivocate. And then when they asked, when reporters asked Robinson Cano about it, he said, oh, nobody told me about the running. I, they just told me I was, it was a scheduled day off anyway. So, cool. I mean, again, you can't make this up. So, Brody Van Wagenen comes out and says, Callaway's the manager for the foreseeable future. But, oh, sorry, Brody Van Wagenen, guess who, who, who his biggest client was? Robinson Cano. One of his biggest clients. The other one being Cespedes, by the way. And now the Mets are most, more, uh, almost assuredly going to look into the, the, the circumstances surrounding this latest mishap that's befallen Cespedes so that he can try to void his contract. Well, interestingly enough, if that happens, apparently the agent who negotiated that contract's commission will be forfeited. Who is that agent? Oh, the Mets' current general manager. Oh, but there's no conflict of interest with hiring a, a, a former agent to be a general, general manager, right? Especially when half the fucking players on your team are his former clients. Excuse my French. I mean, this is unbelievable. Only the Mets would do this. Again, look, all we had to know was that this was Jeff Wilpon's brilliant idea was to hire this guy. And you knew it was a bad idea, and it's not going to end well. I mean, that's it. So Van Wagenen did a whole lot of, you know, spewed a whole lot of gobbledygook yesterday about, you know, foreseeable future. We're not happy with the results so far, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, he sits up there, and then at the end of the press conference, you could tell he, like, lost his train of thought or whatever, and or he, he even, he probably realized how idiotic he sounded. And so at the end, he said, you know, and so we're, we're going to try to do the best we can to, to capitalize on this mission statement. What? Capitalize on this mission? What are you talking about? That's, the, that's barely English. Capitalize on a mission statement. What does that mean? What does that have to do with trying to win games? You know, again, this is, an, this is more and more another example of the corporatization of sports, right? Let's try, to, let's try to take the lessons from the boardroom and apply them to sports. Uh-huh. Yep, big business. Let's, let's do that. 
And look, I'm not naive enough to think that sports isn't a business. I understand that it is. Professional sports and college, by the way. We all know that. The money's out is 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 through the roof. We get we know. We're we're aware. But you know, it reminds me of when when Maryland hired Kevin Anderson to be their athletic director. And he didn't think Ralph Friedgen, the head coach at the time, who had had a pretty sustained period of success by Maryland football standards, by the way. This is somebody who grew up watching Maryland football, who went to University of Maryland, who worked for the football team at the University of Maryland, and has you know, followed the team closely ever since for the last 25 years since I graduated. Okay, So I know my Maryland football history. Ralph Friedgen is the most successful coach in the history of University of Maryland. But not according to Kevin Anderson. And I, listen, Ralph wasn't perfect. He, he had some missteps along the way. But particularly if you look at what the, what's befallen that program since and what preceded it, he's by far the most successful coach in the history of the program, including Bobby Ross, who was great, but he was not on, on there for that long. So Kevin Anderson said, oh, Ralph Friedgen, not good enough. We're going to go from good to great. And then he bought this book called Good to Great. It's a business book. I got, I got it one of the companies I worked at about 15 years ago. They handed that out to all the sales reps. Oh, we're going to go from good to great. As soon as I saw that, I knew Maryland was doomed. I knew they hired Randy, Randy Etzel. I knew that was going to be a terrible hire. It was. I knew Kevin Anderson was going to be a terrible athletic director. He was. And this, 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 this mission statement idiocy from Van Wagenen reminds me of the same thing. This is a guy that's in way over his head, doesn't understand what he's doing. Most of his moves so far have been terrible. All right, J.D. Davis trade seems like a decent trade. He's a pretty good hitter, horrendous third baseman, by the way, terrible. But he can hit a little bit, and it doesn't look like the Mets gave up a ton for him. Keon Broxton, and by the way, I didn't hate the Keon Broxton thing because they didn't give up a lot for him either. But he was so bad, the Mets got rid of him after 40 games. Although they gave him no chance to succeed either. Again, because of Robinson Cano. Because Jeff McNeil, who should be playing second base, is playing the outfield. So Keon Broxson's playing time got severely diminished. Uh, and God forbid Robinson Cano sit a couple times a week so you can play McNeil at second and play Broxson in the outfield and let him try to get a new rhythm. And look, I don't know if Cam Broxton had an okay year two years ago for Milwaukee. Showed some signs, hit 20 home runs, stole 20 bases. Didn't hit for a high average. Probably a mistake hitter. And then he had a very poor season for Milwaukee last year, and then I ended, and, ended up playing in the minors most of the year. But the Mets didn't give him really much of an opportunity to shine. I mean, he didn't even play once a week, I don't think. Again, because of Robinson Cano. Because Robinson Cano dictates what happens on this team. Because he likes to play every day, so he's going to play every day. He likes to bat third, so he's going to bat third. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Brendan Nimmo, who by far sees the most pitches of any at-bat per player on the Mets and should absolutely be the leadoff hitter, he's been dropped down into the order. And still, by the way, still has a 350 on base percentage, second or third highest on the team. But Robinson Cano, with his, again, 250 batting average with three home runs and 12 RBIs, he, it, it's beyond the realm. No way he could be moved down in the order? No? I mean, this one guy is basically gumming up all the, the works for this team. One guy. And again, the GM was his former agent. 
So even if Mickey Callaway, which I don't think he would, but even if he wanted to reprimand Robinson Cano, bench him, sit him, move him down in the order, probably doesn't feel like he can because he doesn't have the support of the general manager because this is the general manager's guy. It's his big acquisition. It's his former client. I mean, did the Will see? And the problem is, is the Will Puns don't see any of this. They might see it now, but they didn't foresee any of this. I mean, it's a joke. You maybe could hire a former agent to be the general manager as long as the players on that team weren't his former clients. But the Mets had a ton of them. Todd Frazier, Van Wagenen client. Jeff De- uh, Jacob DeGrom, Van Wagenen client. Cespedes, Van Wagenen. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. Of course there's going to be inherent conflicts of interest. And so, yes. Okay, the Mets went out and won a game last night. Great. It's a bad team. They have a bad manager. I mean, look, Cowley seems like a nice guy. He's so he's so far in over his head. I mean, he he just you know look baseball managing and baseball is changing anyway, right? We talk about it all the time. Analytics and guys that have never played the game or managed the game or done anything in the game other than look at at, at data on spreadsheets are now driving decisions. You know, the 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 the, the days of 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 you know. Turning over the buffet table after a game by a manager because he's pissed after a bad loss. Those days are over. Everybody's got delicate sensibilities now. You can never, you can't yell at anyone. You can't reprimand anyone. I mean, it's it's it's. Listen, it's tough. I get it. But if the Mets were serious about winning, and look, I don't know that anyone of 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 reputation and value in the sport would want to come work for these owners unless they were, you know, got all kinds of assurances that these the owners would stay the hell out of the way. But if the Mets were serious about winning, Joe Girardi would be the manager by Friday. I mean, it's that simple. The guy had a great track record right here in New York managing the Yankees under all the spotlight and the microscope. I mean, remember, Joe Girardi got that one Yankees team, what was it, a 2013 team, to like 84, 85 wins. If you took that same, that was the Lyle Overbay, Shannon Stewart Yankees, that those teams, if you took that same roster and dumped it in the Mets' lap, Jerry Collins, Jerry Manuel, any other clowns that have managed this, the, the, certainly Mickey Calloway, that the... The Mets would have won 72, maybe 75 games with that same talent, and Girardi got 80-something wins out of that team. I mean, look, and I, wanna, I don't care that he ruffles people's feathers and he's grading and this and that. The guy wins. The guy just wins. And he did it right here in New York. So he should absolutely be the hire. He won't be, though. Because as long as people keep showing up to the ballpark and the, and the Wilpons keep getting their money and revenue sharing, they're not going to care. 
They don't care. Yes, they'd like to win. Of course they would like to win. Everyone prefers winning over losing. But it's not what truly drives them. And so that's why you hire, you know, Sandy Alderson, right? Remember Sandy Alderson was supposed to supposed to add some gravitas to the Mets because they, of course, had devolved into a total embarrassment under Omar Minaya, right? Remember when Omar had to be given a timeout and told to go away for two weeks because of the whole Tony Bernazard fiasco? And during said time is when the Phillies swooped in and got Cliff Lee from the Indians while the Mets owner was taking a nap. I mean, sorry, the Mets GM was off in the corner in nap time in his little timeout room. Right? And all the nonsense with the injury, Ryan Church getting a concussion and then getting on a plane the next day. All Remember all that? And the Mets were a laughing stock. And Sandy Alderson was coming and going to change all that. It's going to add some gravitas. Except it was a total clown show under Sandy Alderson too. All the nonsense with the injuries, all that stuff continued under Sandy Alderson. Again, they had the one shining moment there in 15 when everything broke right. And after being a 500 team for, let's say, April, May, June, most of July for basically four months of the year, the Mets got raging hot in August and September, mostly because on the back of Cespedes. And obviously behind really good starting pitching in Wheeler, Matt. Well, Wheeler, not so much, sorry. But Syndergaard, Matt's, DeGrom. All right, Matt's came up as a rookie that year, pitched very well down the stretch. Syndergaard was a stud. DeGrom was really good. Familia had 51 saves that year. So, again, say it all the time. When you have a team with a long history of ineptitude, look to ownership. That's where it starts. Same thing with the Lions. Ford families own that team since, what, 1963? Lions have one playoff win. In 1991, one playoff win since the Fords have owned that team. You know, look at the Knicks. Look who owns that team. James Dolan. Team has been an unmitigated disaster. You have, you have owners this bad. Like I said, it takes so many Things so many good breaks have to go your way to even have a good season. You're never going to have sustained success, and even to have the occasional outlier of a successful season, you have to have a million breaks go your way. And that's the Mets. That's the Mets in a nutshell. Brody Van Wagenen ain't it, folks. He's not it. I mean, I know I'm glad he's Jeff Wilpon's golfing buddy. That's good. And, you know, he has $400 haircuts and he's got his mansion in Greenwich, Connecticut. And, you know, that's great. And, he, and, and he's a handsome guy. Good for him. And he wears $600 sunglasses. Good for him. He's a joke. He's another front man for the Wilpons 
to distract from what's really going on, which is these are the worst owners in sports. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with the rest of Major League Baseball right after this. Okay, we're back here on Jamal About Sports talking to you about Major League Baseball. So let's focus on some of the teams that actually uh, should be praised for their success. And I'm going to start with the Houston Astros. Uh, they are 32-16, and 16, firmly entrenched in first place in the AL West. After an unexpectedly hot start by the Mariners, they've completely plummeted. Uh, the Rangers aren't a very good team. The, o, the A's aren't playing particularly well right now. The Astros are pretty much running away with that division. Uh, and and, and not, not surprisingly, I mean, they've got an excellent team. The one thing, the one Achilles heel for the, for, the, for the Astros, and I've been saying this for years, was their bullpen, right? Never loved their bullpen, particularly when Brian Giles was the closer. But even since they got rid of him, never really trusted their bullpen. Well, they had the controversial trade for Roberto Osuna last year, who was formerly a stud closer for Toronto, but he had the domestic abuse allegations. He was suspended for Major League Baseball. Well, so far... Put that stuff aside. I'm just talking purely performance now. He's pitched 21 innings. He's got 12 saves. He's pitched 21 innings, 7 hits, 1 earned run, 2 walks, 19 strikeouts. For an ERA of .42 and a whip of .42. Pretty good. How about Ryan Presley, their setup man? 21 innings. He has two saves, 10 holds, 21 innings, nine hits, zero earned runs, 22 strikeouts, no walks. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. And then, you know, the starting rotation is pretty good. Verlander, Garrett Cole. Even Wade Miley's been okay for them. Brad Peacock's been okay. Colin McHugh's kind of been a, a swing guy for them. Start sometimes, pitch out of the bullpen sometimes, done a nice job. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the lineup is fantastic. But, I mean, I just, I mean, look at those two guys. And, look, I know it's early, and they're going to have some bumps in the road at some point. But, I mean, again, Osuna's got a track record. So, I mean, if, if the Astros are going to have a lockdown bullpen, I mean, the rest of the league can just forget it. I mean, that, that, they, I mean, look, there they are, 32 and 16. Now, look, the American League is awful. I mean, there are so many bad teams in the American League. To wit, the Orioles, who the Yankees have been feasting on, and look, give the Yankees a ton of credit. I mean, last night's a perfect example. Yankees were losing, what, I think 5-1, 6-2, something like that. Uh, ninth inning, the Yankees had tied the game at seven. Two outs, Sanchez pops up to the catcher and foul ground, drops the ball. Extends the at-bat, Sanchez hits a three-run homer. <laughs> Earlier in that inning, two terrible throws from the outfield also led to two more runs scoring for the Yankees. I mean, the Orioles are a clown show. I mean, they are horrible. I know I keep using that term today. They are bad. And they're supposed to be bad. Um, again, this is the stuff that would drive me nuts, though. There's one thing I have guys that just aren't majorly quality as far as talent is concerned. But to com- continuously 
make fundamental mistakes like missing cutoff men and throwing the wrong base and not poor base running and all. I mean, it's 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 it, listen. It's not just the Mets. The Mets are great at it, believe me. But it's it's a, sadly it's an epidemic throughout baseball. I mean, the the quality of the product across the board in Major League Baseball is horrendous. And again, a lot of it is because of you know the three true outcome nonsense: a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. You know, so there's less there's less action going on. There are less plays to be made in the field. So I guess teams don't spend as much time focusing on hitting cutoff men and throwing the proper bases because guys don't go first to third. There's hardly base hits to the outfield anymore. I mean, overall across baseball, strikeouts are far outnumbering base hits right now. It's just a bad product. And then you have now teams intentionally trying to be bad because it kind of worked for the Cubs and the Astros. You know, but by the way, the Cubs also made some very savvy trades along the way. Uh, it wasn't all just draft picks. This is in the NFL or the NBA, where one high draft pick, in, particularly in the NBA, where supposedly one high draft pick can change the fortunes of a franchise. But, uh, I mean, look, let's just go through the standings right now. I mean, we are not even at Labor, uh, sorry, Memorial Day yet. And you can pretty much almost say you know who the playoff teams are going to be, certainly in the American League. I mean, look, I told, I, 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 again, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Sorry. I told everybody three weeks ago, a month ago, don't worry about the Yankees. are going to be fine. And by the way, Judge still isn't back. Stanton's not back. Uh, Severino's not back. Who knows if he will come back. But, you know, Domingo Herman has stepped right in and, and been fantastic. Um, Batances is still out. Gregorius is still out, and yet the Yankees are 29 and 17. Tampa's 27 and 17. Red Sox are back in the mix at three games over 500. Sales pitched great his last five or six starts. Price pitched yesterday after a short stint on the on the DL, uh, sorry, the IL. Uh, pitched fine, you know, five five strong innings yesterday in his first start back. But you know, they played the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are terrible. The Orioles are terrible. The Blue Jays are 19 and 28. The Orioles are 15 and 32. I mean, the Orioles are 17 games under 500 already with a minus 98 run differential. They're a joke. Then you go to the American League, Twins are 31 and 16, Cleveland hanging around at 25 and 21. Then you get the White Sox are four games under, the Tigers are eight games under, and the Royals are 15 games under 500 already. And I talked about the American League West. The Astros are 32 and 16. Now, one team in the American League West is over 500. Rangers are a game under, A's are three, two games under, Angels are. Three games under, and Mariners are four games under. Mariners are four games. Under. Remember, the Mariners started out something like twelve and two, and now they're twenty-three and twenty-seven. They've been awful now for a month. So, I mean, the American League is just filled with bad teams. You got three good teams in the American League East, one good team in the Central, maybe two with Cleveland. Although, you know, they've got major injury problems with Kluber out and Clevenger out. And that lineup is not very good. And you've got one good team in the West. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams in the American League West. And the American League are all under 500 already. And some, again, like the Orioles and the Royals, are significantly under 500. It's bad. It's just bad. 
And in the National League, I mean, the National League is a little bit more interesting. I mean, the Phillies have, have kind of hit their stride. They're playing well. They've won four in a row. At 28-19, the Braves are 26-22. and 22. And then you've got the Mets at 21-25. and 25. The Nationals are 19-28. and 28. I mean, the Nationals are a legit bad team. I understand they've got Strasburg and Scherzer and Patrick Corbin, who's vastly overrated, by the way. Good, 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 solid pitcher. He's a good, he's a nice number three starter. He's getting paid like an ace, but whatever. Nationals decided that's what they wanted to do. Good for them. Um, but the Mets have shown you, you, you could have, uh, you know, three really good starting pitchers all you want, or two studs and one, you know, pretty good one. Uh, the rest, you know, Nationals bullpen has been terrible. Doolittle, the closer, has been okay. The rest of that bullpen's been awful. And to be fair to them, they, they've had a lot of injuries too. You know, Rendon missed some time. He's their best hitter. He's back. You know, Trey Turner's missed a significant amount of time. He finally got back. He's probably their second best player. I know everybody loves Juan Soto because he had a great rookie year. You know, let's let's see him do it two years in a row. And Victor Robles, everybody loves too. He's talented, and they're both very talented, but they're also very raw. Robles in particular. Uh, so. The Nationals are, are are nine games under five hundred, and then the Marlins are thirteen and thirty one, and that's they just beat the Mets three games in a row. So the the Marlins were ten and thirty one before the Mets played them, twenty one games under five hundred, and the Mets lost three games in a row to them. You go over to the Central Cubs talked about it last week. I mean, after a very very shaky start to the season, they really they, they may be playing as as well as anybody in the National League, including the Dodgers. Although Dodgers are pretty good too. But 27 and 18. Brewers are a good team at 28 and 21. Great lineup. Good bullpen. Starting pitching. So so. Pirates, surprisingly, are 24 and 20. Josh Bell, their young first baseman, is having a monster start to the season. 15 home runs already. Cardinals been struggling lately. Still a game over 500 again. Always got to watch out for the Cardinals. And then the Reds are not a very good team, but they're 21-26. I mean, they're not, they're not historically awful like the Orioles are going to be or like the Twins, uh, the, sorry, the Royals are going to be or like the Marlins are going to be, but they're not very good. And then in the West, you've got the Dodgers at 31-17. Bellinger still hitting over 400 on May 21st. You know, Turner hasn't even gotten red hot yet. Seager's been okay. Peterson's been okay. I mean, the Dodgers are just stacked. They're deep. They're talented. Ryu's pitched uh, like Cy Young material so far to start the year. Kershaw missed some time, came back, pitched well. Kenley Jansen, a little slow start to the year, has picked it up lately. I mean, the Dodgers are really good. And then the rest of that division's very mediocre. Diamondbacks, two over. Padres are 500. Rockies five games under, Giants six games under. Giants can't score, bad lineup. Madison Bumgarner, not nearly the, the, the same pitcher he used to be. So, I mean, look, it's just, it's not, baseball's just not very good right now. It's not compelling. I mean, you have a couple of, like I said, Yankees are an interesting storyline because they're getting it done with a lot of players that they didn't expect to get contributions from. Red Sox are interesting because they're always going to be interesting. And they got off to a slow start, and now they're starting to get hot. And it's a long season, as we know. we still got four-plus months left to go in the season. Um, 
you know, that NL Central should be interesting. Cubs, Brewers, Pirates, Cardinals. Um, you know, Tampa Bay is always interesting in the sense that, you know, small market team don't pay, don't spend, spend the least amount of money of any team in baseball, have a lot of guys you never heard of, yet somehow they managed to win. We'll see how long they can sustain it, though. And, you know, the Twins are somewhat interesting, but that's a bad division. I mean, it's just bad. I mean, the, the, the Indians have been a pretty good team. They relied heavily on starting pitching. But, you know, a main reason why the, the Indians have been good these last few years, the rest of that division has been awful. And they've cleaned up on the bad teams. And you give them credit for doing that. But, you know, again, it's, it's, not, it's not particularly interesting. All right, let's move on. NBA. So Golden State with the sweep of the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, this this series basically was lost in Game Two. I want to say when Portland had a big lead and Golden State came back and won. And then even uh, yeah, that was Game Two. That was Thursday, right? Yes. And then they went back to Portland. Golden State. Was down again in that game, came back and won, won fairly easily. Game two, they won, was a very close game. Um, and then last night, they won in overtime after it looked like Portland was going to at least put, you know, at least force a game five. You got a triple double from S- Steph Curry yesterday, triple double from Draymond Green. First time in the history of the NBA, two teammates have both had a triple double in a playoff game. Um,. No Durant still. And by the way, Durant's not going to be back at all. Okay. This idea that he has a calf strain is, is a lie. The whole world knows it's a lie. He blew out his Achilles or did something bad to his Achilles. That's the injury. But they're lying about it because he's going to be free agent. There's no way that he has a calf strain. Anyway, uh, let's go to the box score here. Curry last night. 37 points, 11 assists, 13 rebounds. 7 for 16 from 3. And Draymond Green, who is an irritant and is annoying as hell if you're not a Warriors fan, but is still a really good, valuable player. 18 points, 14 rebounds, 11 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks. Klay Thompson wasn't great last night. 17 points, only shot 7 for 21. But then they got, you know, contributions from guys like Kevon Looney off the bench, 12 points, 14 rebounds. Sean Livingston, 4 for 4 from the floor for 8 points. I mean, look, the Warriors, I mean, you know, it's funny. It's almost like Steph Curry's almost gone from being, you know, the the darling and the face of the NBA to being sort of a little overlooked and underrated because of Kevin Durant being on that team. But I believe now... In games, and since Durant's been on the Warriors, but games at which Curry has played in and Durant has not, the Warriors are 31 and 1, including playoff games. 31 and 1. I mean, that's unbelievable. And look, Portland, I mean, that, that game too was, was, was a rough one to lose. They could have stolen one there in Oakland. Um, you know, 
But Golden State is just, they've been here before. They've won three out of four series, uh, finals. And look, I was thrilled that Cleveland beat them that one year. The, the, the reality, though, is that if, if Draymond Green doesn't go ahead and get himself ejected with a, you know, another technical foul and then thus suspended for the next game, Golden State probably wins that one, too. We're probably looking at four in a row. It's a really, really good team with a really, really good coach in Steve Kerr. I mean, look, Portland played great last night. Myers Leonard came out of nowhere to have 30 points and 12 rebounds. The center off the bench. And Lillard and, and McCollum gave their level best. I mean, 28 points and 12 assists for Lillard, who's playing, by the way, with like a dislocated rib. And C.J. McCollum at 26 points and 7 assists. I mean, look, they played great. If you're going to get 54 points from those two guys, you have a decent chance to win. And they did. Look, they lost by two points in overtime. Portland has nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, of course, you never like to get swept. But, I mean, Golden State's just that good. And, look, Portland was in every single one of these games. Maybe game one was a blowout. The last three games, Portland was in every single one of them and had leads. I mean, they led by eight points going in the fourth quarter. Now, that's not a huge lead, but they still had a lead at home. But this is less about what Portland didn't do, and it's more about what Golden State did. I mean, Golden State's a great, great team, like all-time, historically great team. Remember, they won 73 games. Now, they lost that finals that year. We just talked about it, but, I mean, Golden State's great. And so we'll see... What happens now in the other series, which is Milwaukee-Toronto, Milwaukee took a commanding two, two games to none lead in that series. Uh, Toronto countered and came back and won again in overtime, double overtime rather, on Sunday. Um, you can look at it two ways. Toronto has got themselves firmly back in the series here and have a chance to hold serve and, and, and win tonight at home and tie that series up at 2-2. Or you can look at it that it took Toronto two overtimes to beat Milwaukee on a night where Anton Takupo had more turnovers, eight, than field goal makes, five. Uh, now, he did have 23 rebounds and seven assists, but he did not have a particularly good game. And when Kawhi Leonard guarded him, he was one for nine from the field. I think he shot five for 18 overall. Did not have a very good game. He's not a good foul shooter. That could come back to bite them in a close game late. And Kawhi Leonard continues to be the best player, in my humble opinion, in in still playing. I mean, now, you're splitting hairs. I mean, Antetokounmpo is great. Seth Curry is great. You'd be thrilled to have any one of those three guys as the, the, the face of your franchise and the best player on your team. But, I mean, because Leonard, again, can guard multiple positions and be stellar at it and is a great offensive player and a clutch player. You know, Antetokounmpo still, he's still, there's still some, I mean, the scary thing about him is he can still get better. He, there's still some refining to his game that could be used. And, he, and he's already great. I mean, not already. He's been in the league four or five years now. But, I mean, he, you know. The, the, the strides that he's made from being, you know, the 15th pick in the draft, a real skinny kid out of Greece and nobody really knew who he was, to, you know, one of the top four players in the league is pretty impressive. And apparently his work ethic is, you know, through the, is off the charts. So good for him. 
But I'm more in the camp that uh, Milwaukee's the better team, especially now they've got Malcolm Brogdon back, and Miritich is starting to play well for them too. And, you know, they got a great game in, in that game too from Brooke Lopez off the bench. I mean, I just think, look, Kawhi's the best player in the series, but not by that much over onto the Kupo. And Milwaukee just has a better supporting cast than, than Toronto does. So, you know, that, that will be a very interesting matchup. I mean, look, if Toronto comes back and, and, and wins this series, um, you know, I'd be shocked. But I won't mind seeing Kawhi Leonard in the finals. I mean, remember, Kawhi Leonard won a finals MVP when he was with San Antonio. But I think Milwaukee has a better chance to knock off Golden State. And then finally, we just finish up on this with the Knicks. They got the third pick in the draft. You know, everybody wanted them to get in the first pick of the draft get Zion Williamson. They got the third pick in the draft. Most people think it's going to be R.J. Barrett, big guard out of Duke. Look, I didn't watch enough Duke games to know if, if, how good, you know. A lot of people are saying he could have been the first pick in the draft. Most people think John ja Morant, the point guard from Murray State, will be the second pick in the draft going to uh, Memphis. Um, again, I just don't want uh, Kyrie Irving on the Knicks. That's all. Let him take R.J. Barrett. That's fine. I don't want Kyrie Irving anywhere near the Knicks. Kyrie Irving and or Kevin Durant, frankly. Don't want it. Give me Kemba Walker, point guard from Charlotte. Went to UConn. Loves playing in the garden. Give me him. Give me Kawhi. Give me Klay Thompson. We'll see. All right, that's going to do it. As always, check us out on wherever you get your uh, your podcasts, but you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud. Twitter account is at Jamal about sport, no S. You can also check us out on the website, JamalAboutSports.com, Facebook page, JamalAboutSports. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy the sports. We'll be back next week with another show. Until then, peace out.